all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I have to say that it's wonderful to be back with you and to be back in podcast creating land. It's a lot of work I'm remembering as I venture back in, but it's a beautiful work that keeps me engaged, and I love that. It keeps me discovering and having to engage in God's heart myself for it to be an authentic work. I will say, too, that it keeps me learning the balance of being in God's presence without bringing work into that space with me. That's a big one for me right now. So it's good to figure out podcast time and then time where I'm just learning to spend time with the Lord and trust Him with the content creating later when it's time to do that. As an artist, I'm easily inspired, so often I can get pretty ADD when I'm spending time with the Lord, or I'll get inspired with a song or content for the podcast, and I can find myself going down a bunny trail really fast of finding food for others when God is really just desiring first and foremost that I learn to come to the table as a child first and for Him to feed me. I'm also learning that I'm not an orphan, and neither are you. We are not only invited to the table today, but we don't have to come to the table and beg. One of our Bible teachers at church, Christy McClellan, she opened her message the other morning with this, and it was just so beautiful. She reminded us that our posture in coming to receive the Word of God isn't us scraping for scraps, but it's us coming to the table, and it's a table that's plentiful. There's enough for today, and there will be enough all over again for tomorrow. There's enough for our todays and our tomorrows and enough for our forevers as we come to the table. It's moment by moment. Strength for right now, the glorious and the mundane. Well, I love this quote from Timothy Keller. He says, you should never go to God because He's useful. Go because He's beautiful. And there's nothing more useful than finding God beautiful. I found this to be so true. Finding God beautiful seeps into my everything. He is beautiful, and He is worthy of us finding Him and being found by Him. Our theme for the next little bit is, Come magnify the Lord with me. This is from Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. If there's anything I've learned about the Psalms, I've learned that it's sort of like this songbook of our identity as the people of God. I'm learning more and more, not just as a worship leader, but as a child of God, that worship is biblical. It's been a part of our calling as God's children since the very beginning. The reason that I love teaching so much on the understanding of our belovedness and living from that place is The fruit that it bears in us is we begin to own our identity as worshipers of God. Ultimately, this is what the beloved of God do. We grow to learn how to worship God with our lives, and we trust Him out loud with our lives. That's a beautiful part of worship, trusting Him out loud. It's interesting. um, We have friends who are in mainstream music, or some people call it secular music. We have friends who are also solely in worship music and Christian music, like I would say I am. Our mainstream friends, we've learned, just think that it's actually audacious that Christians get together and sing Christian songs 
with other Christians. They don't understand the point of it. (laughs) In fact, they can get a little fiery about it. So I find myself needing to look at the heart of what they're saying and to seek to understand what they mean. And I actually think it really speaks highly of what they're passionate about. I think it quite possibly says that they're evangelists. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, And he himself, meaning Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So my evangelist friends... They have a deep calling in them to be out in the mainstream preaching the love of Jesus to those who are unchurched and lost. And the ones I'm thinking of right now, they actually do that. They take Jesus into bars and secular concerts, and they are people of peace in those places, and they do proclaim Christ. And I absolutely affirm that calling. However, I also have friends, and of course, I put myself in this category, who lead in the fellowship of the believers who have been gifted as pastors and teachers, who shepherd and care for the flock, who lead the church to grow into unity. And part of that is growing in worship as the people of God and not neglecting gathering together to do that. So there's a time and a place for both callings, isn't there? We desperately actually need both. So I would say to my friends in the mainstream world, there is actually a biblical place of calling in leading the greater assembly and the fellowship of the believers. At the same time, I would say to myself and other pastors and teachers who shepherd the flock to be thankful for evangelists and to spur them on in love. I think about my friend Christine Kane, who does absolutely speak within the Fellowship of the Believers, but Christine is such an evangelist through and through. I don't know if you've ever gotten to see her speak, but she is just on fire. And sometimes I get paired with Christine at different events, and I really marvel at her fire and her passion for Christ and to preach the gospel so boldly and profoundly. She gets pretty excited. Sometimes she like yells and jumps around, and it's really fun. But it's really beautiful to watch. And I'll admit, though, that I've thought before, gosh, maybe I just don't have that kind of fire in me. And I start to compare our personalities and our different deliveries of our giftings. But the truth is, I've had to just stand on the belief that I do have that kind of fire in me. It just comes out in a different way. The Lord reminds me that it takes all kinds I've told you before that the first time I ever taught from stage was at a Beth Moore conference for a college girls thing that we did years ago, probably more than 10 years ago. And I sat on a stool and I held a microphone and talked in the same voice that I'm talking to you with right now. (laughs) And I apologized to the crowd. I apologized for not having a speaker mic strapped to my face because that would kind of distract me. I've never liked that. And then I wasn't comfortable pacing around the stage that I needed to just sort of sit still and be able to see my notes. And I needed to just be able to talk in my normal voice. (laughs) Well, Beth pounced on me with love backstage afterwards. She took my face in her hands. I've told you this before. And like a mama, she said, don't apologize for you being you. It takes all kinds. So some of you might have a calling on your life as an evangelist. You are fiery. You're able to be confrontational, which is not like me. 
But maybe you don't automatically see where you fit within the church. And instead of that being a beautiful thing for you, maybe you felt a bit lost. Maybe even sometimes when you hear my podcast, you're thinking, why can't I just be quiet and calm like Christy? (laughs) So many of you have commented to me about how even the sound of my voice brings calm into your day. I've told you before how much this shocks me because all growing up, when I would hear my speaking voice on a recording, I would literally cringe. Like I could barely stand to hear myself talk because I thought my tone was wonky and whiny sounding. I didn't like how deep my voice would come across. I wanted to have like a higher voice like all my bubbly cheerleader friends did. But I realize now that God made my voice have the tone that it has for a reason, and He uses it how He does in very specific ways. I can't remember if I've ever told you this before, but when I was on tour with Rebecca Lyons in Ann Boss Camp a few years ago, I was standing in the back listening to Ann speak, and I stood beside this mama who might be listening right now, but she had her baby strapped to the front of her, and she looked over at me and she whispered, thank you for your podcast. So we sort of conversed for a few minutes, and her baby was bright-eyed, and he was smiling at me. And she told me that the sound of my voice when she listened to the podcast even would, you know, it would calm her, but it would calm her baby. So she was just telling me how it was this sweet time for the two of them to listen. And I talked with her for several minutes, sort of back and forth, and then she smiled, and she pointed down to her baby, and she said, see? And I looked down, and he was out like a light. (laughs) I would never have imagined that my voice that used to make me cringe would be used to bring peace and calm into people's lives or put babies to sleep. But I want to tell you that you can believe this for your own life, that God can use your voice very specifically and purposefully. And the fact that it is different than mine is actually where the beauty lies. It takes all kinds. There's a place for you. It takes learning your voice learning how God uses it, and then just not being afraid for God to use you in that particular way, even if it still makes you cringe every once in a while like it does me. But I will say that I do sometimes have to rise above my style of relating. I'm learning a lot about that. Or like my go-to mode, which is just super quiet. I actually enjoy being quiet. I'm learning this about myself. In fact, I'm so comfortable with being quiet that I sometimes do need to like purposefully push beyond that style of relating so that I can engage and connect. But at the same time, just to be secure in the fact that my fire burns in a different way, and that's okay. I'm always super aware of this when I'm at something like the If Gathering, which I led worship for a few weeks ago. The If Gathering is a beautiful discipleship movement that was started by my friend Jenny Allen about six or seven years ago, and it's grown into this worldwide movement of equipping women to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers. And the heart is mentorship and discipleship right where you are. I just love it. However, we do have this annual gathering in Texas in February. This year, we had about 4,000 women, and that's still actually keeping it intentionally small. That's how much it's just it just has grown. Many of my friends who are authors speak at if, and the style is generally this like TED Talk style. So you're hearing people teach and share in like 10, 15, 20-minute talks. So there's a lot of authors and teachers involved since it's a two-day conference. But backstage at IF, it's just 
one of the most beautiful melting pots of some of the most amazing women, all of them so different, different in their calling, in their personalities, their delivery, and their style of relating. Most of them are high-capacity women, but I will say you can feel the love in the room. It's like electric, and it's crowded back there because, like I said, there's a lot of us back there, but I love how it isn't this who's who back there. It really does feel like this love fest and honestly like a reunion. And I think it's because of how seasoned these women are. They're at a place in their lives where they understand their voice and their calling, and it's so apparent. And there's this level of humility that's so beautiful. And part of that comes from the fact that we've learned to appreciate each other because of our differences. It's really beautiful. Like sometimes I sit there and marvel at it. Each of the parts are making a whole. And we need each other to be different because it does take all kinds. Anyway, all in all, there is a place in the body for us to bring what we bring. But regardless of how we bring it, and how the fire burns. I want to point out that the unity truly comes through the fact that we are all worshipers. It is what levels the playing field and balances the scale. It is what we were created for. As I said, it unifies us in the most powerful way, the same way that being His beloved levels a playing field for all of us, regardless of how we live out our belovedness out in the world and inside the church— We are all also ultimately created to be worshipers at the very core of our beings. Worship is actually the response of the beloved, period. The Psalms are such proof of this. It's so beautiful to read. They tell a story of how God has pursued His people all along and how His people are to pursue Him back. If you've ever studied the Psalms, there's something for everyone in this book. It's like the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I mean, a place for women, for sure. (laughs) It's where the essence of humanity merges with the glorious in the most beautiful way. Many of the Psalms were actually put to very practical use and would have been known by heart, even by children at the time. There were songs for every occasion, and they had meaning for what they had been through, for what was, and for what was to come. And I believe that should also always be the basis of why and what we sing now, even the new songs we sing. They should come with meaning for what has been, for what is, and what is to come. I believe that we can and should each have a personal, private worship life with Jesus. I know this is more challenging for some of us than it is for others. I also believe that we are to gather with the greater assembly, the fellowship of the believers or local church, whatever you want to call it, that we should raise our voices together regularly, side by side. It's beautiful. We're called to do it. It's biblical for us to do this together. And it serves a purpose, and it even fulfills the promise so beautifully as we practice the promises of God together, side by side. So we have this deep personal connection, this soul renewal that happens in our personal worship, and we have this corporate expression of that that is also part of our belovedness. And I believe each are equally as important, and in fact, one informs the other greatly. So let's jump into this. Come magnify the Lord with me. The first thing I think of when I hear the word magnify, of course, it's a magnifying glass, right? 
I've heard it said that magnifying the Lord is like placing a magnifying glass up to who God is. I know that sounds cheesy, like a vacation Bible school illustration, but it helps me. It's choosing to make Him bigger than, say, our current circumstances. It's so much easier, though, right, to magnify our circumstances, isn't it? Our friends even like to jump in on it with us, don't they? We've got lots of backup in this area. All of us do. (laughs) We have friends who are ready to chat it up about all the crazy plot lines of our lives because the truth is, they get it. They're right in the middle of their own crazy plot lines, too. I don't know what it is about us that just talking about it makes us feel better, but we can get ourselves into trouble, right? It's not always a bad thing. We do need a place to air things out. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm just more pointing out, at least in my own life, that my tendency is to put the magnifying glass up to my plot lines. That tendency is pretty strong. So I got to watch out for that. And I also have this tendency towards too many words. Quiet as I may be, I can text up a storm with a friend in a heartbeat. I can passive aggressively and quietly hash it out with friends or family, giving away much needed conversation that I need to have with the Lord. Or what about those long imaginary confrontational conversations that we have with people or wish we were having with people? (laughs) I find myself having to choose to move that magnifying glass back to the place where it really counts. We all understand what it's like to be buried under circumstances that we wouldn't choose and that we don't love because we've all been there. And the truth is we'll always be dealing with difficult circumstances because in this world, we will have trouble. We know that part. But magnifying the Lord, it's this idea where we can cause our attention and our affection to be pointed towards God, especially in times of trouble. We can choose it as an act of worship. That word magnify is the Hebrew word gadol, and it means to grow up or become great. So it's the sense that we are choosing to make Him grow up and become great over all things. Of course, we're not making Him grow up or be great. He is already great. But it's this acknowledgement that He is great over all things. Us acknowledging out loud that God is great is biblical. Psalm 29, 1 through 3 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That word ascribe means to acknowledge or to lay. I love this. It means to give credit where credit is due. So it's this sense of we lay on the Lord the glory that's due His name. We lay our affections on Him. We lay on Him glory and strength. We're not actually adding to His glory and strength, but we are saying we lay on you, God, that you are full of glory and strength, and you are worthy of us acknowledging this out loud. This psalm is actually repeated in Psalm 96, 7 through 9, and it's actually repeated as well in 1 Chronicles 16. In both of those cases, it says, I love this, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations, 
the first one says in Psalm 29, O heavenly beings, but these other two, it's kind of the same ascribe to the Lord pattern, but it says, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. So I love this families of nations. It makes it a little more personal, doesn't it? There's something beautifully mundane about families being called to acknowledge God. That's us right here on a Wednesday or whatever day it is you're listening. And it reminds us that something that feels very lofty can actually be quite low and lovely right here in our car commute or at our kitchen sink. We can ascribe to God the glory that He deserves. And digging around a little bit in my ESV, essentially what David is inviting us to in Psalm 34 that I read at the top, when he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, he's essentially saying, Come join me in blessing the Lord. Isn't that interesting to think that we bless the Lord? I know often I just have this, you know, upside down thing of God bless me, but we're really called to bless the Lord. When you bless someone, you speak a good word over that person. So when we bless God, it's the same thing. We speak a good word over Him. We tell Him of His kindness or His faithfulness. We thank Him for His generosity to us and the fact that He's the same yesterday today, and forever. Ultimately, because we were made to worship, our souls truly do long for more in this life. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're often a weary people, aren't we? We become easily weary because we weren't made for this life. Romans 8 says that we inwardly groan to be reconciled to God. We were made for deep connection, not toiling and striving, But yet, so often we toil and we strive. We're fatigued with labor and trying to make that connection somehow, and we don't even know it. We put each other in that place of that connection, and we get disappointed and hurt by one another, don't we? I know that I've disappointed and hurt others because I've failed to live up to that connection, just as I've been hurt and disappointed by others because they failed to live up to the connection I was holding them to. But the only connection that truly satisfies is our connection with God. A lot of us put work in that place of connection. And so we toil and we strive to no end without resting in our place as the beloved. I know I talk about rest a lot, but rest actually teaches us to work. There's actually no way around hard work, is there? In fact, the Bible instructs us all throughout Scripture to work hard with perseverance. So all this talk about rest, it always sits within this context of knowing when it's time to work hard and persevere, which is actually a daily part of our mundane, isn't it? But it's all from this attitude and posture of rest. And in this sense, rest being us knowing where and how to find the deep connection we were made for. It's from that deep connection that we persevere. So we work and then we retreat and connect And hopefully we repeat that over and over. Nathan and I have had to learn the hard way how to aim for this in our lives. There's a time to rise to the occasion, which is a lot of the time. And then we retreat. Jesus modeled this all the time. 
He would even teach the people sometimes from a boat so that as soon as he was done, the disciples would literally push away from the shore so that he could go rest. And he would sleep, as we know, sometimes even in the bottom of the boat. He modeled going away and being with the Father, connecting with Him. This is where our souls are renewed. Personal worship can actually be a beautiful time of soul renewal, and it happens when we shift our thinking and our posture. This can happen both individually, as I said, and corporately. The hope is that as we corporately gather, we are a people who have also individually gathered with God already all throughout the week. But even in our personal time with God, what if we shifted our posture? What if we first determined in our hearts that we are going to bless God before we ask Him to bless us? What if we shifted our focus to offer blessings over Him first? David would often shift his worship this way. Psalm 103, he preached to his own soul to bless God. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. See, all those things, those benefits He just listed, often I ask for those things from God before I acknowledge that He's already done them and is doing them. I'll often jump to, God, forgive me, heal all my diseases, redeem my life from the pit, crown me with your love and your mercy, satisfy my soul with good so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. I go straight to the asking. Is it okay to ask God for those things? Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what I want us to do is focus on learning this order of blessing God first, of adoring Him with our time, our lives, our actions, and in this case, even our song. What if we postured our hearts and our soul to bless God first, to speak a good word over Him, all that's within us, to speak a good word over His holy name? Because the truth is, He has already and is already doing all the things we could ask Him for. So bless Him. Let all of your soul bless Him. What's beautiful, and I've had to learn this over time, is that all that's within us doesn't have to mean all the words we know. I found that I can bless God by just repeating a few truths over and over some days. Try it next time you sit down with Him. Put away the feeling of having to fulfill this duty of the quiet time and just sit with God and just bless Him for a few minutes. Write out some blessings over His name, even if it's just two or three, and just repeat them. Tell Him who He is and what He's done and what He's continually doing on your behalf. Sing it if you want. It'll be beautiful just to get in that practice of first, just saying, I bless you, God, approaching Him because He's beautiful, not just because He's useful telling Him how beautiful He is. Put the magnifying glass up to Him and off of all the circumstances and the plot lines and bless Him with your heart and your words and see how very useful finding Him beautiful is for your entire day. Try it next time you gather corporately. 
What if as you read the words on the screen, assuming your church runs lyrics during worship like ours does, but what if you use those words as this tool to bless him? Often I'll stand there and I imagine him being blessed, like in the way that I feel when I'm being blessed by someone, I imagine him being blessed by me. I imagine him smiling and taking an in as I worship him. I'll give you a hint. You will be blessed as you bless Him. That's actually how it works. Everything you need for that day will come from that place of blessing Him. I know many of you have heard the new song I released called In Every Way because you've told me and you've been so encouraging. Thank you so much. I wanted to end today's episode with it. However, I want to ask something of you. I want to ask you not to listen as you know, this is Christy's new worship song that she just released. But I want you to experience it in this way that we're talking about blessing God with your life right now in this season, whatever the plot lines are, no matter what the circumstances, because this is what it was written for. I said this earlier, but the Psalms were actual songs. Remember that these were very purposeful songs used in the greater assembly They were also purposeful around farm tables, I believe. They were a part of the heritage of the beloved, songs woven into who we are. And I can say that I know writers who still aspire to this, and I'm one of them. I write songs inspired by what it looks like to carry truth as the beloved and to fulfill our biblical calling as worshipers as the beloved. And what it looks like to carry on the songs of our fathers from so long ago. The songs that are about our covenant with God. This God of ours who pursued mankind. He created us and then He continued to pursue us. And His mercy is really kind of unfathomable all throughout Scripture when you read about it. And then to think, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. After this song was written, I I kept thinking of that word ascribe that I just talked about. And even though we didn't use the word ascribe in this song, you know, it's not really a word that we throw around nowadays, but it is what we're doing when we sing this song. We're acknowledging out loud who God is and what's true of Him and the credit that's due Him. The verses give us this chance to sing all the ways that we are able to see that He is truly God. It's a chance to not go straight to the asking, but just go straight to the blessing and forget not all His benefits. We're telling Him, wow, look who you are, God. Look what you've done. The first verse says, as the sun begins to rise, in that moment, you are God. The other morning on our way to the airport around 6 a.m., Nathan and I witnessed one of the most beautiful sunrises across the Tennessee Valley that I think I've ever seen. And I was just reminded in the vibrant pinks and the dark and gloomy purples and in the bright, shiny outer circle that almost glowed like fire of His faithfulness just because of another sunrise. As soon as day breaks in our lives, He is God. And then it says, in the darkness of the night, even then you are God. This represents both the going down of the sun each day, but also sometimes when we are literally walking through a dark season, even then He is God. Darkness is as light to Him because in Him there is no darkness. In the depths and the heights, 
You remain. You are God. Give me breath and give me life. And I will say, you are God. As long as I live and have breath, I will say what's true. You are God. And then the chorus. And even how it just repeats. It's like this refrain of our lives. A refrain in music is a phrase that is repeated over and over. I love to think that our lives have a refrain to them. Henry Nouwen said in The Way of the Heart, A word or sentence repeated frequently can help us concentrate, to move to the center, to create an inner stillness, and thus listen to the voice of God. So what we repeat over and over, it matters and it has power. The refrain of this song says, It's who you are, God. It's who you are. You never change. You never change. You never change. It's who you are in every way, in every way, in every way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to say things over and over so that I'll truly come alive to it. Often I'm just numb. I'm numb to His power and to His power at work within me. And sometimes I just need to say it again. It's who you are. You never change. You never change. You never change. And just let it sink into the deepest places of my soul. The second verse says, You have shown me your goodness. I have seen it with my eyes. In my greatest disappointment, you have never left my side. What a beautiful way to bless God. Of Just reminding yourself while you tell Him, You've been here for me. I have seen your goodness with my eyes. And then it says, you are fighting every battle. In my weakness, you are strong. In every step, you are faithful. In every season, you are God. This kind of takes me back to Psalm 103 that we talked about. There's plenty of times I've sat down before God and I've said, God, I need you to fight this battle today. God, would you be my strength and weakness today? Would you please be faithful as I take this next step? Would you show me that you're God in this season? And trust me, not only is this okay, the Psalms are actually full of this. In fact, the Psalms are actually lament heavy. Lament is being able to express sorrow and regret and pain. And it's a place to even mourn and just simply cry out to God for help. You have God's ear. You have a voice with Him. And He alone can bear the weight of your lament. Always know that. He is where you can go. So yes, it is okay to go to the asking when we need to go to the asking. So right here, there's not so much a but, but an and. (laughs) And we can learn to magnify and adore the Lord and bless Him. Adoration is us learning to ascribe to Him the glory that's due Him. Adoring Him is another way to mature as a worshiper. Blessing Him first is a way that we can mature as a worshiper. Us blessing God is another way that we grow in this deep connection we talked about before in this soul renewal. It's like making a list of everything you need in that moment and then flipping it around and saying, God, you are already doing these things. You are actually these things that I need today. You're everything I need. You've shown me your goodness. You've never left my side, even through the biggest disappointments of my life. The few times I've led this song already, when I sing that phrase, in my greatest disappointment, you've never left my side. I go straight to the ER almost exactly 20 years ago when I was painfully miscarrying my first baby. 
it was so painful, in fact, that I was vomiting <laughs> kind of actually on my sister-in-law, Kristen, Amaryllis Kristen, who was right there with me. When I'd started feeling weird earlier that day, I texted my brother and sister-in-law to see if they were home because Nathan was out of town and he was also trapped in an ice storm on top of that. So they said, come on over, of course. So I showed up at the door, not knowing that only a few hours later they would drive me to the ER. And I look back and I think about Kristen being there with me, not leaving my side. Even when the doctors came in and confirmed the worst news ever, my hopes and dreams literally shattering there on the gurney in Houston, Texas. Could I have faced it alone? Yes. Would I have made it? Yes. But I look back on Kristen being there with me as the embodiment of Jesus with me in those hours. She didn't leave my side as I laid there. My hopes and dreams literally just shattered. But he was with me, and he even had a stand-in to prove it to me. So as we grow as worshipers, we grow in the asking, but we also grow in the ascribing. We say, God, you're already doing this. You are fighting every battle. In my weakness, you are strong. And every step I'm going to take today, you are faithful. And in this season, whatever it is, no matter the plot lines, you are God. When I wrote this with my friend, Jason Ingram, we got to the bridge of the song and Nathan was sitting there and he just kept playing this beautiful chord progression over and over. And Jason and I just started moving around the room at that point. And everything we had just sung, both of us just kind of closed our eyes and took turns just sort of raising our hands, just sort of internally walking around, just asking the Lord for a phrase that sort of just summed everything up that we had just been singing. And we searched for just what we longed to say in that moment. And really, as a songwriter, it's just such a blessing to get to do this, to even ask on behalf of the church, like, God, what? Does your people, what do your people long to say to you? And we landed on this phrase as we walked around the room with just our eyes closed and hands up. We're just kind of singing phrases. But we landed on this, I know you do all things well. We just wanted to sing that over and over in the room. I know you do all things well. I acknowledge that you do all things well. And as I sang it, I thought to myself, that says so much without saying much at all. What an exercise for us in the middle of such a noisy world, in the middle of our need to express the fire in us. What if we lean towards a quiet trust that protects that fire? There's a lot being said. Even scrolling through social media, there are so many opinions and sometimes opinions that start arguments. And it just feels like even in the church, we are all over the map with where we stand And then we feel compelled to voice where we stand. And there's a time and a place for that. But also I believe there's beauty in quiet trust and letting our words be few. Henry Nouwen also said in The Way of the Heart, which is this wonderfully peculiar little book (laughs) that a friend gave me that I've loved reading recently. But in his section on silence, he says this, As ministers, our greatest temptation is toward too many words. They weaken our faith and make us lukewarm. But silence is a sacred discipline, a guard of the Holy Spirit. Silence protects the inner fire. The inner heat 
is the life of the Holy Spirit within us. Thus, silence is the discipline by which the inner fire of God is tended and kept alive. What needs to be guarded is the life of the Spirit within us. Especially we who want to witness to the presence of God's Spirit in the world need to tend the fire within with utmost care. It is not so strange that many ministers have become burnout cases, people who say many words and share many experiences, but in who the fire of God's Spirit has died, and from whom not much more comes forth than their own boring, pretty ideas and feelings. Sometimes it seems that our many words are more an expression of our doubt than our faith. It is as if we are not sure that God's Spirit can touch the hearts of people. We have to help them out with many words, convincing others of His power. But it is precisely this worldly unbelief that quenches the fire. Our first and foremost task is faithfully to care for the inward fire so that when it is really needed, it can offer warmth and light to lost travelers. And then I love this. He goes on to say, silence ultimately teaches us to speak. Just like I said earlier, rest teaches us to work. I love this. Silence ultimately teaches us to speak. So there's a time to speak, yes. But he says, a word with power is a word that comes out of silence. A word that bears fruit is a word that emerges from the silence and returns to it. He says later on, this isn't a silence of emptiness or absence, but a fullness of presence, not the human silence of embarrassment, shame, or guilt, but the divine silence in which love rests secure. When Nathan was recording me singing this song, when I got to the bridge, I wiped tears all throughout singing it. I sang it with angst, and you can probably actually hear it kind of when you listen to it. Singing with angst is to sing from the soil of a broken world around us, but yet to hold out hope, the hope of Jesus, that salvation will come. Singing with angst, you acknowledge the pain, yes, and that's okay, but you also acknowledge the one who holds all our pain. I think about our friends who are experiencing pain and heartache right now that's unbearable, and honestly how I see toiling even within the church There's even a shifting with this post-truth culture that we live in that even in the church now in some places, the Word of God is no longer viewed as central and foundational or the ultimate authority. And this grieves my heart, of course. There will always be a time to speak, but my prayer is that it will come from having worshiped in quiet trust, having said over and over God, no matter what's going on around me, I believe that you do all things well. All that you created and spoke into motion, you do all things well. Even when the complex plot lines of our lives confuse us and they're hard, I still believe, God, that you do all things well. May our quiet trust in God teach us to speak fruitful words to sing fruitful words that bless the heart of God. I'll talk to you soon. As the sun begins to rise In that moment you are God In the darkness of the night Even then 
give me breath and give me life and I will say you are God it's who you are you never change you never change you never change it's who you You do all things well